The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. All right, the news continues pouring in. Things have simmered down a little bit from the uh, insurrectionist riotous coup attempt by Trump supporters that took place on Wednesday. But a lot of crazy is really going on. I told you yesterday that Facebook and Twitter had temporarily suspended Donald Trump for posting election disinformation and incitements to violence. We have now heard from Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook will be blocking Donald Trump on all its platforms, which includes Instagram, at least until the end of his presidency. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg made a post about this uh, yesterday. And, you know, I, I don't really care about Zuckerberg in the term in terms of evaluating his morality and his personal politics. I know that there's reason to be very upset as to how Facebook has sort of looked the other way with a lot of the completely ridiculous ways that the Trump campaign and the right have used Facebook to spread disinformation and so on. Uh, this statement from Mark Zuckerberg is what it is. And Zuckerberg wrote the shocking events of the last 24 hours clearly demonstrate that President Donald Trump intends to use his remaining time in office to undermine the peaceful and lawful transition of power to his elected successor, Joe Biden. Um, And he goes on to say, we believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. Therefore, we are extending the block we have placed on his Facebook and Instagram accounts indefinitely and for at least the next two weeks until the peaceful transition of power is complete. So a an indefinite ban on Facebook and Instagram for Donald Trump. And it's all just, you know, the 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 struggle with these um, incidents is that on the one hand, all of this stuff should have happened long ago. Trump's cabinet should have considered the 25th Amendment long ago. Trump's cabinet should have resigned long ago. Republicans should have abandoned Trump long ago. Pence should have distanced from Trump long ago on Twitter and Facebook, all this stuff. But at this late stage, it's sort of like, come on, guys, uh, it, it almost feels like a, a virtue signal in some sense to me uh, it, it, in order to re- try to rehabilitate one's image. And one could be a person or a, or a company when it's too little, too late, when Trump is now already weakened and humiliated with just you know 12 days left until the inauguration. So while these are obviously the correct decisions, it's hard to really feel like, wow, it's so great. Everybody's now figuring it out. We figured it out before Trump was even inaugurated. And some of us were called alarmists. And of course, every one of our worst fears uh, came true. So we'll continue to follow this. Uh, I believe it's quite plausible. Trump will be permanently banned uh, from um, uh, Twitter as well uh, after he leaves office. But um, it is it's it's really anyone's guess at this point. And one of the things I think it's it's important to remember, I mentioned this yesterday, let's not allow the uh, retroactive rehabilitation of the image of a lot of these people that were along for the ride. Ninety nine point nine percent of Trump's term and now are bailing Uh, absolutely massive conflict within Trump's cabinet Uh, on Wednesday as the violent insurrection was uh, breaching the Capitol. Donald Trump denounced Mike Pence and said Pence didn't do it. 
Pence didn't do it. He didn't steal the election for, for me. And um, that tweet was ultimately taken down by Twitter. And it was one of the tweets that led to Donald Trump's suspension on Twitter. Donald Trump's attorney general, William Barr, is now calling Donald Trump's behavior a betrayal of the presidency and also said yesterday that Trump's orchestrating a mob to pressure Congress is inexcusable. Now, again, the analysis is very similar. Barr was Trump's unmitigated, unrepentant henchman for years. Barr deserves none of our sympathy. Barr is bailing as the ship is sinking. But it's still great to see him say this. Former Attorney General William Barr is reported by the Associated Press, says Donald Trump's conduct as a violent mob of his supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol was a quote betrayal of his office and supporters. Barr said that orchestrating a mob to pressure Congress is inexcusable. The statement has been obtained by NBC News and the Associated Press was the first to report on it. Uh, notable. Yes. Do you tend to see a president denounce their vice president and an attorney general denounce the president that selected them? No, you don't. And that is significant. But everything that's happening right now is significant. Much of what's happening right now is unprecedented. We are in dangerous, unprecedented times. At the same time, Barr's disgusting. Barr deserves to never work again. Uh, and you will remember that uh, Barr, Barr resigned last month and uh, was replaced by by another uh, loyalist. And um, it happened shortly after William Barr said there was no widespread fraud that had any impact on the, the results of the election. So these are strange times. But let's not say William Barr is a good guy. Um, you know, people like John Bolton and others who, after the fact, say what was obviously true all along. I don't see them as anything approximating heroes. I see them as people who for as long as it was comfortable, for as long as they could get away with it, they were happy being in proximity to power and having access to the president and having that prestigious title. And then when it starts to become a risk for their future, their career future, their political future, then they come out and say something like this. So is William William Barr is obviously right. William Barr is completely right in saying that what Donald Trump has done is a betrayal. It's seditious. It's arguably treasonous. There's no question about it. Um, but the idea that there is anything uh, uh, morally admirable about what William Barr is doing, throw that in the trash. Forget about it. I want to elaborate a little bit on my comments yesterday about the Republican Party crumbling under Donald Trump and Trump really losing everything for the Republican Party um, with a focus not on evaluating the um, virtue or morality of any particular individual Republican, because as I told you, they all deserve uh, the repercussions of sticking by Trump for ninety nine point nine percent of the presidency. But I think that we are going to see a six month period into Joe Biden's transition that will really be unlike anything we've seen before. I know Donald Trump often says this is like nothing we've seen before. This really is like nothing we've seen before. We have never had a situation where during a global hundred year pandemic, we have a president made a one term president who refuses to accept that they actually lost incites dozens of bogus lawsuits and a violent riotous insurrection that leads to a temporary delay in the counting of the electoral votes gets suspended from multiple social media networks for um, a pra essentially praising the violence, saying 
the pro he understands why the protesters did what they did. This is what you get when you steal an election. Donald Trump saying on Twitter before Twitter deleted that we have never had a situation like this. And so we are seeing Mitch McConnell, the absolutely horrible Senate majority leader, lose his position as Senate majority leader, likely uh, uh, to um, be replaced by uh, Democrat Chuck Schumer as Democrats take control of the Senate, thanks to the two runoff victories in Georgia by Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Uh, and you also are going to see at the same time that Republicans lose control of the Senate, you see them very much on the defensive, having to either denounce or jump in with or explain away this riotous insurrection that took place on Wednesday um, at a time when we so desperately need leadership at a time when the economy is uh, as precarious as it's ever been. We had I, I wondered six days ago, will we get to 4000 coronavirus deaths a day? Well, on Wednesday, we had 4100 as the violent insurrection was taking place. And Donald Trump was getting banned from Twitter and Facebook as all that was going on. We passed for the first time 4000 coronavirus dead in one day. In fact, the number I believe was was forty one hundred. So what is going to be the role of the Republican Party in the next two years? What is going to be their role as uh, uh, we we hopefully start to see vaccination help tamp down the pandemic in a more permanent way? Are they going to do what we've suspected for a long time, which is sort of kind of pretending they were never really with Trump, even if they were and going back to we can't afford this. And what about the dead? And we need to be uh, constitutional conservatives and financial conservatives. What exactly is going to be their uh, what, what exactly is going to be their approach? And on a, in a very practical sense, Joe Biden said earlier this week, two thousand dollar stimulus checks are riding on the Georgia elections. Democrats got the two Georgia elections. Are we getting two thousand dollars stimulus checks now? Uh, Democrats have control will will have control of the House, Senate and White House. And they've been talking about two thousand dollars stimulus checks. Democrats in the House and Senate have said they're OK with two thousand dollars stimulus checks. So is that going to happen? Uh, are we going to see to what degree? And I, I am not yet taking a position. I want to think about it more. To what degree is a Biden administration potentially with Attorney General Merrick Garland and control of the House and Senate to investigate whatever the hell they want? To what degree uh, are the Trump crime family's wrongdoings going to be investigated? Um, there are a lot of compelling arguments to be made one way or another about the investigation of former former presidents in the United States. but. What do that these next two years look like? Do Republicans manage to become uh, acute obstructionists? Do they sort of act like normal people for a little bit? Is it conceivable? And I know this is so it's almost naive and cliche to say, but do a few reasonable, reasonable Republicans that saw the error of Trump of Trump's ways like, you know, the perpetually disappointed Susan Collins and Mitt Romney, who voted to, to convict on one of the two articles of impeachment, do they join Democrats in the Senate so that it's not 50 50 if Joe Manchin is OK with a tiebreaker by Kamala Harris? But maybe it's 52 48 on some of these key issues. Uh, would Susan Collins and Mitt Romney go for some some, you know, green energy infrastructure deal with some teeth to it? I don't know. I don't know the answers. But what we do know is that Donald Trump has lost everything for the Republican Party. 
losing them the House in 2018, losing them the Senate and the White House in 2020. The Republican Party, in a sense, is crumbling, but we know from history is very resilient and has voters who are very willing to say, oh, Trump's gone. We're back to we care about the debt and deficit and uh, blocking abortion again and, you know, uh, religious freedom or whatever. We know they're eager to get back to that. And so the next two years are a real question mark. I think Joe Biden's first hundred days will tell us a lot about how that's going to go. Let me know what you expect. I'm on Twitter at D The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Regardless of your workout, nutrition and diet goals, it is crucial to have the right amount of protein in your diet. And if you're supplementing with protein powders, you should be sure you have the powder that is right for you. And that's where our sponsor Gainful comes in. Gainful offers customized protein based on your body type, diet, fitness habits and goals. Their formulas are optimized for you with simple and effective ingredients, no fillers, gluten, soy or anything artificial. And Gainful also gives you free unlimited one on one access to your own registered dietitian, which is a great bonus you won't find anywhere else. And my favorite part is that Gainful protein is never repetitive or boring because they will rotate the flavors you choose like rich chocolate, cookies and cream, chocolate, peanut butter, strawberry cream, cafe mocha. I took their quiz and they gave me protein tailored to my specific needs. Everything was quick and easy. I've been loving what they sent me. You'll get 15 percent off your first month when you go to gainful.com slash Pacman. That's G-A-I-N-F-U-L dot com slash P-A-K-M-A-N. And the link is in the podcast notes. You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts. And they hand make everything with 100 percent Egyptian cotton and flat felled seams, which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer, which I really love. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order. If you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout, that's P-A-K-M-A-N. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Welcome back to the show. It has been a huge, huge political week. So many things have taken place, and I know people are eager to uh, chat and tell me what they're thinking of and what's going on. And let's do it via Discord at davidpakman.com slash Discord. Uh, you can also join the discussion happening on Discord. I think close to I think we've got close to 10,000 people on our Discord, which is a perfect number. Let's first go to 
let's go to Jill from Burbank. Jill from Burbank, you're on the air. What is going on? Hi, uh, David. Good morning to you. Oh, it's morning over here. How are you? Pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, Doing well. As it's raining in Burbank. Um, so I was going to ask you in regards to the policy, what do you want to see, um, you know, now that Democrats have the Senate and the House yeah. and the presidency? Yes. Uh, what policies do you want to see? I, w- I really want to see progressive, um, you know, the Green New, New Deal, like on the table, debate it. What do you um, I mean, listen, it, Jill, it's such a long list. So first on day one, you know, day one could mean the first couple of weeks. Uh, Joe Biden needs to do everything he promised to do via executive order that he can do and reversing a lot of the things that Donald Trump did. I think using the Defense Production Act to scale up vaccine uh, production is something I would I would be very interested in very quickly. uh, He and Democrats in the House and Senate should be able to should be able to get a bigger stimulus done. Uh, Having Mitch McConnell um, out of power is is just uh, such a a fantastic thing. Um, And then I want Biden to get started on the big things. Let's get started on the public option. Let's get started on the energy uh, and climate proposal that he did, which is not the Green New Deal, but takes a lot from the Green New Deal. Um, Let's do minimum wage. I mean, it's such a long list. It's all possible now. But now is when the work begins. And that's the thing. There's a, I saw a lot of people gloating. This is just the beginning. This is we, we now have to actually get something done and it's not going to be as easy as many think. But the list is very long and it's exactly the type of thing we should be thinking of. Right. Uh, what what do you think uh, the student loan is going to get passed uh, at all? Like uh, student loan forgiveness, he said, you like know, I'm skeptical. Do- I'm skeptical that it's going to get passed. And um, that that one, I would love to see something done on student loans. It's a huge priority and be very economically stimulative to redirect money uh, away from being interest paid to banks to money people can spend at local businesses. But I, I am I have a skepticism that that gets done in the next two years. And th- I feel like that's the problem with, you know, Biden uh, mm-hmm. and you know the difference between Trump and Biden, Trump you know, says something, he just goes and writes whatever. And, you know, it's it's an executive order. Yeah, but, but that's Biden, not that's, let's not give Trump too much credit. Trump no, not, did I'm, nothing I'm, on health insurance. Trump. Trump promised I, health I insurance. He, yeah, it's not. Hate, he, he, yeah, I Good. hate him, but he, he, you know, he does that. I, I wish, you know, that. Biden no, but I think really the point is Trump has done us. nothing on many of the. Th- it's not just that Trump is he does bad things, but he does them. uh, Most of the stuff he promised, he just didn't even he just didn't even come close to doing. He just didn't do anything on. I I I totally agree with that. Yeah, Uh, you know, just but like for example, for toilet and stuff, he he just went. It does nothing really what he wrote, but he goes ahead and writes a writes an executive order. But anyways, in regards to the MAGA people, just the last question. What's the best way to, you know, change their heart? I, I mean, I, from my experience, I think showing how we used to be, you know, how we used to talk as a family friend um, is the best way. But what do you think is the best way to do? I don't think that there is any what I call retail strategy 
arguing oh, with individual Trumpists one on one. It's it, there's no way there's no way we need a wholesale strategy, which includes cultural change, educational change. And it's a it's at least a decade process, unfortunately. And I know a lot of people want just like, what's the trick to convince these three MAGA people I know to change their minds? It the, the problem is just way it's way bigger than that, unfortunately. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, David. Do do exactly what you're doing and we love you. Thank you. All right. Jill from Burbank. Very much appreciate the call. We are taking calls uh, via discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. Let's go next to Ben in rural or Oregon or Rural Oregon, as some people would say. Ben, are you there? Ben, are you there? You've got to unmute. All right. No, Ben, that's too bad. Let's go instead to Matt in rural New York. We'll just keep it rural. What's going on, Matt? Hey, David, I'm big fan of the show. Thank you. Um, one of my super chats didn't get addressed yesterday, which is fine. You know, it's it's hard to keep up on all those. Yeah, they were they were um, it was explosive yeah. with super chat. Um, so one thing that I just wanted to state as being a former election worker is one of the questions you had, which is, is there a section for a write off in a runoff election? Um, and there's not an official space for that. So for a write in. Yeah, yeah, right. Write, so let me give the like backstory on that. If I can, it could spoil it could spoil the ballot. Right. So um, there was a question yeah. yesterday about uh, whether uh, there could be candidates. Could you have a runoff where no one gets 50 percent? And by definition in the runoff, there's no write in. There's no third party. It's the two candidates that qualified for the runoff. It's one or the other. And so it's mathematically impossible to have uh, both under 50 percent. Thanks for clarifying that, Matt. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I guess my main question was it's about the Democratic Party and its outreach. So I know that you had those contacts in Georgia that have been campaigning furiously for both campaigns. Yes. But, you know, it's not a secret that the Democratic Party is really awful at outreach. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was pretty evident in the Latino vote in Florida. Yes. Um, so obviously, you know, the pandemic has changed pretty much all traditional methods of outreach. And I, my question was, what do you think the Democratic Party could do to improve outreach, not only to these minority communities in these key battleground states, but to young voters as well? Well, I, I, I think it's a good question, but I also want to push back a little in the sense that Joe Biden managed to win while running a pandemic safe campaign, while Trump did everything you would do as if there was no pandemic going on. So as terrible as Democrats are, uh, they maintained control of the House. They won the Senate and they made Trump a one term president, all while doing it safe from the standpoint of a pandemic. So I actually am more encouraged by Democratic organizing in 2020 because it's been so disastrous in the past. I think they've done better with with online. Um, so I think obviously more can be done. I think the Florida example is a very good one where they were directly fighting against these just blanket communism, socialism fears. And I don't think that the Democratic Party, particularly with the Latino vote, has really figured out how to fight that yet. So th there's a, a huge uphill battle. You're completely right. But 
I mean, the, I don't want the results haven't been perfect. Democrats lost seats in the House while maintaining control. And there were Senate races that could have been won, which they didn't, which made it come down to Georgia. But when you win everything, I mean, yes, Trump is terrible and Trump damaged the Republican Party. But you can't say they're absolutely disastrous when they won everything. Yeah, I I guess I meant more in a limited context. And, you know, Georgia was very encouraging. Yeah. And for those House elections, one of the districts near me is the uh, the race that's within 12 votes and it hasn't been called yet. Right. Um, with Claudia Tenney, that's that's the race that Trump's just going after and saying it's corrupt. And I think he's campaigned for her a few times here in upstate New York. So okay. it's just really discouraging to see this. But Georgia, you know, it's it's very encouraging from the Senate standpoint. So absolutely. Yeah, thank you for Big up to call, Georgia. David. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, we are taking calls via discord at davidpackmancom slash discord. Let's talk to a few other people, at least. Uh, why don't we go uh, to let's go to Ben from Boston. Ben from Boston, you're on the air. Hey, um, uh, did you just call me like a, a minute ago? I just clicked on the on the chat. And, ben, I can I can I, barely hear you. Uh, you're going to have to get much closer to your microphone or something. And I, I called on you now. I don't know. It sounded like you were asking if I previously called on you. I called on you now. There was a different Ben I tried calling on before, oh, but it wasn't you. Thank you. That makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Hey, um, is this better? It's a little better. Yeah, go ahead. OK, thank you. Um. So I was just wondering your take on kind of for going forward, what what should the mainstream media kind of do to um, kind of quell some of this uh, division that I see? My, my dad is actually a, um, a sports journalist for many, many years in the past. And he's always told me about that a lot of this partisanship kind of started uh, when the, if you've heard of this, like um, the, the fairness doctrine, the FCC uh, fairness doctrine that basically mandated that there had to be uh, both sides of, you know, both sides of an argument to be presented. There was sort of limited number of channels and they wanted that, you know, certain channels to have, you know, maybe a left leaning um, perspective and a right leaning, just have airtime on, on both sides. And uh, I think Reagan ended that uh, practice. Um, and my dad always tells me that, you know, he thinks that a lot of this kind of division um, and um, polarization in, in the news has, has started around around then. Um, so I was just wondering um, what your take on that. And 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 perhaps also, you know, I've wondered if a lot of people don't understand the difference between, let's say, like news and opinion. Yes. And maybe yeah. there should be better um Regulation. I don't regulation. So regulation is stuff. Let me that's that's a lot. So let me let me deal with that because yeah. that's a lot of stuff. Um, the people the, the second part is immediate lack of media literacy. I've addressed that before. We need to be teaching media literacy starting, you know, to to 11 year olds, even younger, being able to identify the difference between content and advertising, which really young kids can't do, which is why advertising to children is so pernicious. The difference between news and opinion. That's a we have a huge media literacy issue in the country. But the first issue is very interesting. I think at this point there are people who say we need a new fairness doctrine. At this point, I believe that practically speaking, because so much of the information people are getting is on the Internet. 
I, it seems to me that a, a new fairness doctrine would be a pyrrhic victory in the sense that you might, through huge amounts of struggle and chaos, get something done and it would be of minimal value because the media landscape has just changed dramatically. It's not about limited airwaves that have to be divided fairly in a certain way. It's a totally different situation with people getting news from the Internet. So I don't think that the regulatory approach in terms of a new fairness doctrine is the right approach. I think it's a uh, we need a cultural educational realignment that teaches people to be more savvy when it comes to the information that that they consume. I feel strongly that that's the right approach and that a new fairness doctrine would not really be what we need. Thank you. My pleasure. Great to hear from you. Uh, Let's take a very quick break. If you're holding, don't hang up because we're going right back to the phones momentarily. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors is Hydrant, which is a delicious fruit drink powder that you mix into water for rehydration. And they're giving you 25% off your first order. It's made with four key electrolytes that the body needs, powerfully supporting your hydration. Hydrant tastes great. It's made with real fruit juice. It's been a great part of my daily routine for a while now. Keeping myself hydrated puts me in a better mood. The body needs hydration for basic energy and focus, and hydrant is the perfect way to rehydrate, especially because it's cost effective and lower in sugar compared to all of those popular sports drinks that are out there. You really have to try it for yourself to see what I mean. It tastes great. They also have a variety called hydrant immunity packed with vitamins A, B, C and D, which is also very much worth trying. Hydrant has a full refund guarantee if you're not satisfied and you'll get 25% off your first order. When you go to drinkhydrant.com slash Pacman or enter the code Pacman at checkout, that's drink H Y D R A N T dot com slash P A K M A N coupon code Pacman. I've put the link in the podcast notes. One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet. Just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100% of your money. If you don't love it, no questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code Pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. 
Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, I guess they're really more like Internet tubes via Discord. Uh, DavidPakman.com slash Discord is the place. Let's talk to Tim from New York. Tim from New York, you're on the air. Tim from New York, please unmute yourself and you'll be able to talk to me. And last chance for Tim from New York. No Tim from New York. Let's go instead to Tyler from Australia. Tyler from Australia. You are on the air. What's going on there? Hi, David. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, earlier today on Twitter, I saw a picture of a U.S. flag with 52 stars. And now that the Dems have the Senate, the House and the presidency, I was wondering what your opinion is or if you think it's possible that we could have maybe one or two more states uh, given statehood. It would be absolutely fantastic. I am very significantly supportive of it. I think D.C. as a Democratic state is obvious because it's so overwhelmingly Democratic. I actually think it's a little less clear in in terms of Puerto Rico because there is actually a, a, a more conservative contingent there. And if Puerto Rico were to become a state, I think you would see Republicans pour in resources to try to get a senator there. Um, so I think that um, it, it on balance, D.C. plus Puerto Rico is absolutely good for Democrats. I think if you're assuming it would be all uh, Democrats, you, you, you may be wrong, but I would be hugely supportive of that. And I would love to see Democrats in control of the House, Senate and the White House take that up and look at making that a reality. Yeah, I was pretty much certain that the D.C. area would go heavily towards the Democrats. But right. I was a bit more worried about the Puerto Rico area because it's like a bit more of that Latina vote. And um, yeah, the, but remember, the Latino the vote, kind of, the Latino vote is very left other than Cuban-Americans. But that can still mean you have 35 percent, 38 percent, 41 percent. That would still be I don't know exactly what the numbers are in Puerto Rico. You still end up with some Republican members of Congress and maybe even a senator, depending on who chooses to vote with those numbers. It's just less overwhelming in Puerto Rico. Yeah, right. So it could even balance out with just like a one for one. I don't think it. I think I think it would lean blue, but it's just not. There's some people who are like this. It's it'll be all Democrats. And I think that that's probably not true. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. My pleasure. Great to uh, great to hear from you. Let's go next to Mackenzie. Mackenzie, you are on the air. Mackenzie, I heard you just for a second there. You're on the air. Here oh no, David. Oh no, David. You caught me you caught me in some dough. I'm sorry. You're literally ma- oh, are you Canadian? Yes, sir. Oh, you are. Uh, um, yeah, you're, yeah you're making like, bagels. Didn't switch myself to just listening. So sorry. You're literally making bagels right now? You betcha. Yeah, that is unbelievable. And so is that you boil and then you bake. I boil. Yes. And then I bake. That's incredible. And what flavors are you uh, making? Uh, We got everything going on right now. Black sesame, uh, sesame and some some onion and garlic. 
is this a is this a is your job to make bagels or you just do this for, like as a for home? Yeah, yeah, this is my job. I'm a baker. Oh, okay, that's fantastic. Yeah, I always listen while I work. It's the best, and uh, didn't I was covered in flour. Couldn't switch to just listening. I'm. This is fascinating. What part of Canada are you in? Uh, right in the middle. <laughs> not Toronto. Not Vancouver. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And you can get a good. You <laughs> can get in, a good bagel. I live in China. What's that? You can get a good bagel in that part of Canada. Uh, since I moved back from Australia, yeah, for I sure. I love it. I love it. All right, you my can, friend. Uh, thanks for the chess games, by the way. I had you on a couple multi days. We had a couple good ones. Oh, beautiful. Who won? Uh, you took the last two and, and I didn't go for the rematch. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. All yeah, right. Listen, uh, um, bagels. We, I love, ba- I can, I'm glad I stumbled across this because I love bagels. I'll have something more useful for you next time. Okay. Thank you very much. There's cheers, brother. Mackenzie, the baker didn't even want to talk to me, sort of forced him into it. Crazy. Uh, all right. Let's speak next to Ivan from California. Ivan from California, you're on the air. David, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, excellent. Oh, wow. David Deepak Pakman. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, something I've been thinking about lately is um, to what point could we call the Republican Party fascist or like crypto fascist or is that even like productive? Because, uh, you, uh, I think it's you, not you productive. I think I think I've been using more the term. Here's the way I, I've been seeing it, because sometimes when you when you over label, you, you just d- damage yourself. Trump is authoritarian and he has fascistic tendencies. And I think he would love to be a dictator if he could get away with it. But saying this is a fascist administration, Trump's desires are fascistic. Uh, I I, th- I don't know that we get that much from saying this is fascism. And I think it sort of uh, discounts real fascism that we've seen uh, in practice. I think Trump has fascistic delusions. I see. I see. OK, um, thank you. Um, can I ask you a little quickie? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so I'm sure you're familiar with Jorge Luis Borges. I'm of a course. Huge fan. Of course. Um, any other great Argentine writers I should uh, look into? Yeah. Um, you know, actually, let me let's see one. I don't know if you've read. Let me remember which one the uh, which which. Uh, OK, so so certainly um, Julio Cortazar is fantastic. And he wrote the novel um, Rashuela, which is hopscotch translated in English and a bunch of short stories that are really good. I would dig into some of that. Uh, lovely. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, peace and love. Thank All you. right. Bye. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thank you so much. Great to hear from you. A lot of references, a lot, a lot of mimetic references in that call for sure. Let's go next to uh, where did we want to go? A lot of people just listening, which is totally fine. I'm not going to force you in. Let's go to. Um, let's go to Roland from Vienna. Roland from Vienna. Roland from Vienna. David, hello. How are you? David, great, great, great. Listen, congrats on the Georgia runoff. Yes. I'm a I'm a 40 year old white male from the middle of Europe. Okay. But uh, is it weird to say that Stacey Abrams is my new hero? 
No, no. I mean, what she's been able to do is is incredible. It's you know, earlier we had that call about Democrats failing on organizing. Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams should be explaining to national Democrats how to organize, quite frankly. Yeah, that's in fact the only downside I'm seeing is uh, uh, it's all good for Chuck Schumer to be in the driving seat now. But uh, why did Nancy Pelosi have to stay there? (laughs) Right. Well, listen, I mean, I think um, the, the truth is that what really matters is sort of like the average uh, placement on the political spectrum of the House and Senate. And the Senate has been pulled a little to the left with the addition of Ossoff and Warnock and or, or significantly to the left. And the House, even though Democrats lost seats, some of the people who won are more left. So I think I think it's OK. I think there's a realistic chance to get some important things done here. Well, you'll get there. You'll get there. Listen, yeah. Dave, thanks a lot for what you're doing. To be honest, I, I started watching you about a year ago. Yes. And I started watching for the political commentary and then I kept watching for the comedy. It is especially your live streams. I just, right. It's hilarious. So much fun uh, with the callers also. And uh, I think it's time for a spinoff show. Really? And what would the spinoff have, be? Like a, you're saying a spinoff well, you, comedy show? Yeah, yeah, you have the uh, um, yeah, maybe some viewer generated contact. I know you have. And I'm also a big fan of your your uh, one of your uh, regular call ins to the voicemail, the Eggman. Yes, of course. Eggman is is a yeah. fantastic caller. I'll, I'll, Roland, yeah. I like that idea. We'll take that under advisement. Maybe well, well, a, a scripted comedy show. My middle name. My middle name is Egbert. So it's going to be Egbert and the Eggman. I'm going to connect with that guy and we'll make it happen for you, David. Let's do it. All right. Yes. Eggman and Egbert. <laughs> Let's put everybody together. Have a good one. OK, thanks. There's a uh, Roland from Vienna. Very, very excited uh, to do a, a collab with the Eggman. Let's go next to Rashad from Brooklyn. Rashad from Brooklyn. You're on the air. Rashad from Brooklyn, please unmute and you will be able to talk to me. And David. yes. Hi. Am I coming through clear? Yes, you are. Perfectly clear. Pristine. Beautiful. You know, this is a second caller from New York, actually. Yeah. What can I do for you, Rashad? So I think Stacey Abram is. I mean, I guess in reference to the previous caller, Stacey Abrams has been a hero for the, the Georgia Senate election and even the presidency. And I think she showed that there probably are more swing states if Democrats are willing to work. Right. And I was wondering, and yeah, and I was wondering if you thought there were like any other potential swing states that if Democrats put just just enough resources into that we would be able to maybe possibly flip them blue. Well, North Carolina is a state that is sometimes blue that could be much more reliably blue with more Democratic effort. Um, but then Texas is the the sort of obvious big one because the reward is just so big. And we thought it would be closer than it ultimately ended up being. I never thought that Democrat that Joe Biden would win Texas, but there was the idea that it would be close and it was sort of close, but not as close as maybe we would have wanted. I think Texas, particularly with a lot of liberals moving to the Austin area, 
Um, I, I think there's major potential and the reward for making Texas at least sometimes blue would be absolutely devastating to uh, the Republican Party at the national level. Yeah, I mean, if, if you like, can you imagine if Democrats actually find a way to make Texas a swing state like Republicans right. would never almost never win an election? I mean, yes, it's it's really not far from being a swing state. It's it's close to being a swing state. And I think the lesson from Stacey Abrams should be let's put four years into Texas starting now so that it can be a swing state by 2024. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea, Dave. Yeah. Well, I guess that's about it. Thank you, David. Uh, All right. Thank you. Do you know any particularly good Argentinian restaurants here in New York? Yes. uh, Yes. Go to it's called El Gauchito and it is in the Corona Elmhurst area of Queens. Excellent, excellent Argentinian restaurant. I don't know what's going on from the standpoint of the virus right now and and dining there, but a fantastic Argentinian restaurant in Queens. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. There is Rashad from Brooklyn. Very, very exciting. And uh, you never know what you're going to get when you show up at an Argentinian restaurant. Let's go to Chris from Colorado. Chris from Colorado. You're on the air. Chris. You are so low. You sound like you're 100 feet from the phone, Chris. Whoa. Chris, are you there? Yeah, man, I don't know what people are doing when it sounds that like I really I can't imagine. Like, do I ever sound that way on the phone? I don't know. Let's go to Adam from D.C. Adam from D.C. Hey, there, David, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I'm wondering what realistically, now that the Democrats have a tenuous lead in the Senate, uh, can get done. I don't think D.C. statehood or Puerto Rican statehood is on the table, but maybe some smaller stuff. What would you like to see done? Uh, another stimulus bill. Yep. I think that gets done. Climate change controls, um, stuff of that nature. Yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, listen, Some of the climate stuff can be done by executive order because uh, Joe Biden, Trump damaged a lot of climate stuff by reducing regulations via executive order. Joe Biden can put them right back in. Now, that's small potatoes. We want more. Uh, And I'm being very clear. We want more. We want a big legislative deal. I think the dream would be a major infrastructure, green energy, sustainable business deal, like a big, really big, big deal. But in the immediate Joe Biden can can undo some of Trump's economic damage, regulatory uh, uh, ease, ease, uh, loosening of regulatory uh, climate related regulations via executive order. I think the stimulus gets done. Um, I think the bigger questions are, you know, do we do we really get a, a, a good shot at a public option, um, et cetera? Uh, I think the, and it remains to be seen. Do you really think that the public option is on the table? I mean, can't the well, it's Biden's. It's it's Biden's. It what it's on the table in the sense that it's what Biden ran on, and until he proves, until he shows me he doesn't actually want to try it, I believe he will at some point try to do it, and then whether it can get done is the question. Yeah, that's kind of what I was uh, alluding to. Um, 
I, I know that we don't have a filibuster-proof majority, so yes. can't Republicans just simply kill it? They can. The question would be at what political cost? If it's very popular, and it is, uh, the question would be what at what political cost? And I think it's great to be thinking ahead about this, but let's see how the next two weeks go and let's see how Biden's first two weeks of executive orders go. And then let's start building the legislative agenda. Sounds good, David. Uh, thanks for taking my call. You have a great day, sir. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. That is going to do it for calls today. We will take calls again, and I hope you will join me for a whole new week of shows. But we'll be back with more right after this quick break. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs and situation. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me and my medical needs. They have a special offer only for my audience. You'll get 50% off your first month, but only until January 31st. So make sure to sign up soon. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman. That's S T E A D Y M D dot com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Okay, let's get into our first audience questions for 2021. Uh, very good ones, ones I'm looking forward to answering. First is David, do you think we really could be approaching a secession slash civil war scenario after January 20th? I think that the answer is no. Now, if you step back and say, well, I'm going to just focus on are there secessionist movements and is there a group that would love to uh, use militia organization and militia power to separate or to go against what is going to be a Biden run federal government? Yeah, there's there's no shortage of that. But the country has changed dramatically from the times of the Civil War. In the Civil War, you had two very clearly defined factions. They were geographically much more uh, homogenous than what we have now, where you have even in red states, the cities are often blue. Even in blue states, the rural areas are often red. Right. And now it's a very urban rural 
situation within states in the Civil War. It was different. Each side had a a military to back it up in a more sort of um, equal way. And so right now, a lot of different things have, have changed. First, there's this sort of geographical complexity. Uh, it's not clear like which states would be part of which side uh, urban rural within states is the sort of c circumstance. Number two, financial red states are not viable without blue states. And we've talked a lot about when you look at whether states pay in more or get more back from the federal government, the blue states overwhelmingly pay in more, whereas the red states are, are more likely to be leechers and receive more from the federal government. And absent that, um, a lot of those red states would not even be financially viable. And my my guess would be is if you see some of these uh, groups, militias, etc., escalate into bombings, shootings, etc., you would see the tide turn with police and National Guard forces likely putting them down without even getting to some kind of a more federal response. However, I mean, like, let's think ahead. If you imagine these red states somehow come together and they say we're going to use our, our combine our state National Guards, I'm speaking so hypothetically, um, the, the reddest states altogether have National Guard forces of about 200,000 troops and the federal government is about a million and a half troops and they have all the real firepower. And so from a purely logistical perspective, I'm not saying that right wing militias can't cause chaos. Oh, they absolutely can. They can cause chaos. They can cause death. They can do horrible, horrible things. But the circumstances are simply not uh, uh, ones that would lend themselves to a true civil war. And if the federal uh, uh, army, if the army were to be used by the federal level um, uh, to suppress this, you know, homegrown militias are not going to be a match for the U.S. military for better or worse. We can talk about military industrial complex. We can talk about all of these other things. Um, but I actually think the more interesting topic is. Are there enough just people willing and interested in that? I know that, you know, you half the country or a third for 35 percent of the country didn't vote of the people that voted for Trump um, half believe that Trump is ultimately going to swor be sworn in. Some of those when Trump is not sworn in might be really, really angry and some subset of those might want to secede and some subset of those might be willing to actually go and fight for that in some way. The point is, I don't think there's enough people actually interested in that, that that you're really going to see any significant movement along those lines. And I've talked before, we have an economic situation that is designed to prevent people from organizing in that way. And I've, it, this is for better or worse. I've talked about how cheap stuff from China combined with easy access to credit, um, credit cards and personal credit keeps people relatively comfortable enough. Doesn't mean that there's no poverty, doesn't mean that there's no hunger, but even people who otherwise might not like without credit and cheap stuff from China, there would be lots of people who on a day to day uh, um, uh, live far worse, far less comfortably than they do. So a lot of people are just going to say, do it. You know, I kind of would rather just hang out and, you know, watch sports, not do whatever it is this these secessionists want me to do. Combined with the fact that due to stagnant wages and the precarious financial situation of many people, 
a lot of people, you know, oh, let's go. Let's go uh, wage a civil war and try to secede. I'll be gone for two weeks. Wait a second. Then I lose health care and lose my income. And then if we don't succeed when I get back, what do I have? I lose my house. I, my car gets repossessed or whatever. So that is to some degree by design in the system that we have. And I've spoken about that before. So I do not expect that that uh, is going to lead to anything even approximating the real threat of what we might recognize as a civil war. David, I like the idea of single payer, but how do you deal with increased demand for medical services if single payer passes? If everything is free at the point of care, people are going to start going to doctors for all sorts of procedures. How do we deal with that? This is sort of a ruse. Okay. And I like the, I, I love the opportunity to talk about this because there's so many different things to consider. First of all, Let's apply the sniff test to it. Um, if you're talking about unnecessary medical procedures where people would get them for kicks if it was free, what actually falls under that umbrella that has no preventive benefit? What, what I mean by that is in every single payer proposal, I've seen um, unnecessary uh, cosmetic plastic surgery that's not medically necessary. It's not reconstructive in some way, for example, wouldn't be covered by single payer. You you would still have to say if I want breast implants, if I want a nose job absent some trauma or, uh, you know, a mastectomy or, or other situations, it's not covered. I've got to pay for that out of pocket. OK, so once you take cosmetic plastic surgery off the table, what 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 somebody who people are going to get hip replacements just for kicks, even though they don't really need them. People are going to get, um, you know, dental cleanings, which reduce dental cleanings, reduce the cost of care by preventing cavities as an example and preventing gum issues. So when you really get down to it, you could see a decrease in demand for some of the more resource intensive health care. Preventive care reduces the number of ER visits for heart attacks and strokes and abscesses that could have been treated early on and reduces a uh, demand for ICU and other acute services because you're catching medical issues earlier. You're addressing them earlier and you prevent some of that really expensive specialized care. So number one, when you really think about it, the things people are mostly not doing because of financial obstacles aren't things people do for fun. And this gets to the most important point and really the fundamental reason why a for profit healthcare system doesn't make sense. Demand for most medical services is completely inelastic. OK, let's talk this through. And I, I hope I can do this clearly going back to my uh, micro economic days. If you take a good like, for example, I don't know, uh, Sharpies as an example, where there's lots of substitutes for Sharpies and uh, Sharpies are an, an item where you might prefer the Sharpie to a pen, but you might not. But there's substitute. OK, et cetera. If Sharpies are a penny each demand explodes tons of people. If the Sharpie goes to a penny, I'll buy a ton of Sharpies and just use them maybe instead of a pen or some other marker. If the Sharpie goes to a thousand dollars, demand goes to almost zero. Very few people like Sharpies enough to pay a grand each and they'll switch to something else. You'll go to a pencil. You'll go to, you know, whatever. If there's no obvious alternatives, you'll 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 get chalk. I don't know. OK, so that's uh, there's elasticity there. Significant elasticity. When you take few uh, fall down and you need a hip replacement, 
whether the hip replacement costs a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or a thousand dollars. My demand for a hip replacement is absolute if I need a hip replacement. Um, and it's essentially zero if I don't need a hip replacement, no matter how cheap you make hip replacements, no matter how much access you give me to hip replacements with single payer. And of course, it ignores that a doctor wouldn't recommend one if there's no reason to do it. My demand for a hip replacement is zero. So this is not a normal market good. And so the um, reality is, you know, consider appendectomy. I have I had an appendectomy a, a year and a few months ago. Uh, up until the day on, uh, on which my uh, appendix started swelling and requiring to come out, my demand for appendectomy services was zero, regardless of the cost. I wouldn't even take a free appendectomy. I wouldn't even uh, take money to get an appendectomy. Suddenly, I need one, and my demand is absolute. Okay, so this is the point: the the increase that people are are uh, expecting. Um, is simply not going to be there from the standpoint of people getting services they don't need. Most of the services people would avail themselves of if money were not an object uh, are going to be preventive services that actually reduce acute disease in the long run and reduce costs. So it's essentially a farce. That's the reality. Um, and I one last thing. I know some people will say, but David, when access to Medicaid is increased, emergency room visits go up. Very, very different. Medicaid is not Medicare. Medicaid is primarily for poor or disabled folks. And uh, in particular, it's folks who have a backlog of more serious chronic issues than the average population. And it is not representative of what would happen. Uh, bigger picture. Uh, you have un there, there's very many specific issues with that that make it not analogous to what you would see bigger picture. All right. So let me know if I'm missing anything. But that's my general take on that. Hey, David, Joe Biden keeps talking about compromising with Republicans and working across the aisle. Is Biden nuts for thinking this Republican Party will compromise with him? Well, this this requires some speculation about what Biden actually thinks and believes. What I mean by that is. I don't know that Joe Biden really thinks this Republican Party is going to work with him. And in fact, I doubt he thinks that. I believe Joe Biden is talking about reaching across the aisle and getting Republicans to compromise because he's trying to be a unifying figure who at least appears willing to reach out to Republican voters. It makes him look presidential. It appeals to more than just the Democratic Party. And it, in a way, puts pressure on Republicans. Many are friends with Biden. Remember, Biden has a lot of Republican friends to try to rise above partisanship. But my belief is Biden knows, especially because they've been clear, Republicans will be obstructionist buffoons for the next at least two years, likely four. They will try to get in the way of any accomplishment that the Democratic Party tries to do. And so I don't believe Joe Biden's rhetoric about bipartisanship and compromise will go anywhere. I think with this Republican Party, the only the only way to get them to work with Biden would be to make such significant concessions that these legislative victories would end up being Pyrrhic victories. In other words, victories in which you 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 do you are uh, so much damage is inflicted upon you that you start to wonder, is it really even a victory in the net? So um, I think, you know, if I believed Biden naively believed Mitch McConnell is going to help him get 
the tax reform done that he wants and the public option. Of course, no, I don't, that would be insanely naive of Joe Biden. But I don't think he believes that. I be- believe it's mostly posturing. I believe Joe Biden knows because Republicans have made it clear they will obstruct absolutely everything that they can. Uh, and I'm not particularly optimistic that Republicans are going to participate in anything over the next four years. So what can Joe Biden get done without Republicans? What can Joe Biden get done uh, with uh, executive orders? It remains to be seen and we'll be here for the ride. We've got a great bonus show for you today. Make sure you're signed up for a membership at joinpacman.com. We have a new coupon code better 21. The meaning should be obvious. We want to have a better 2021 than 2020 better 21. You can sign up now and be listening or watching today's bonus show within 60 seconds. I promise you join Pacman.com coupon code better 21.